Thank you, Alex and Lorinda, for that beautiful song this morning. Just absolutely beautiful. Turn with me, if you would, to the Gospel according to St. Mark. Gospel according to St. Mark, chapter 3. You know, uh, oftentimes we think of our Lord as, as the wisest of all. Think of the wisdom of heaven and Proverbs and talking. Of, in fact, God even refers to himself as wisdom, the embodiment of wisdom. But Paul tells us that the wisdom of God is foolishness to men. And if that's the case, it makes it's no surprise, I guess, that to read um, what some of the people thought. Of Jesus. I invite you to stand with me for the reading of God's Word, Gospel according to St. Mark, chapter 3, begin reading in verse 20. And the multitude cometh together again, so that they could not so much as eat bread. And when his friends heard of it, they went out to lay hold on him, for they said, He is beside himself, or he's crazy. And the scribes which came down from Jerusalem said, He hath Beelzebub. And by the prince of the devils casteth he out devils. And he called them and said unto him, and said unto them in parables, How can Satan cast out Satan? And if a kingdom be divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. Father, we thank you so much for your word. And we thank you for your son who was willing to come to be labeled a a madman, to be labeled a, a, a demon-possessed person, to, to bear our shame. So we ask that this morning that you would help us to rightly divide the word of truth. May we be an encouragement and a help and a blessing. We ask these things in your precious name. Amen. You may be seated. I'm sure most of you have heard uh, the words or the phrase, the real McCoy. But the real McCoy wasn't the real McCoy. His name was Norman Shelby. And uh, probably most of us don't know that name, but back in the late 1800s, he uh, was a boy from uh, Indiana, and he left the farm to be a boxer in the days of bare-fisted boxing. And he would take on fighters... Uh, any, he said he'd take on anyone, anywhere, anytime, and he pretty well did. He averaged a fight a month. That's incredible. Even, even boxers today fight maybe once or twice a year at the most, and for him to fight once a month bare-fisted, it's quite, quite the reputation that he was building. He, he went by the by the name Kid McCoy and other boxers wanting to live off the reputation of, of uh, Kid McCoy. They, they said they were Kid McCoy. And of course, in those days, they didn't have photography like we do. We, they didn't have internet and they didn't have all these things. And so there weren't a lot of pictures of, of uh, Kid McCoy. They didn't have uh, any way of verifying whether this person really was Kid McCoy or not. And so finally, in I believe 1899 or 89, I can't remember now just which, but they set up a title fight in San Francisco. 
And Kid McCoy would go the distance with the champion. 20 rounds of bare-fisted fighting. Three broken ribs. But he defeated the champion. And the headlines on the newspaper the next day was, Now you've seen the real McCoy. That's how they got the name. Our reputation is really important, isn't it? And our reputation is so powerful that it can override that which is true about somebody. It's easier to believe the reputation of somebody than to believe what they really are. Once we have an idea, once we have a thought of who somebody is, it is really, really difficult for us to change our minds about who they are. I wish it were easier for us to change our reputations. I wish it were easier for us to even change our mind about people. But even when people get saved, you'll hear kind of different ones talk, now we're going to have to just wait and see if this really takes. We know what kind of person they've been. We know how they've lived. We, we're, we're going to have to wait and see this, to know whether this is going to take or not. And that's not a modern day problem. That has been a problem since the early church. When Paul got saved, nobody wanted to have anything to do with him. He had a reputation as, as one who was breathing out threatenings and, and was hauling people off to, to be killed for their faith. I don't suppose that any one of us would be excited about welcoming in as a new member a, a man who just uh, a few months ago had been persecuting the church. I don't think we'd get excited about that. We wouldn't want him to know where we live. We wouldn't want him to know our names. We wouldn't want him to know uh, all about us. We, we would be very, very concerned because of the reputation of Paul. It seems that it took at least three years before Barnabas went and got Paul and brought him into the fellowship and, and began to get Paul's reputation to where it is or where it would be during his ministry. But how incredible that it took three years to change the minds of even just some of the church. Reputation is a, is a serious thing, something that we should protect, something that we should care about very much. Reputation isn't as important as character, but it's still important. Jesus has been doing some strange things. As you read chapter 3 of Mark, especially if you don't understand he's the Messiah. We have the privilege of knowing who he is and what he'll do. We have the privilege of, of, of hindsight, but in those days, he was doing some pretty crazy things. What was he doing in Mark chapter 3? Well, he was not uh, requiring his disciples to have fast day, to do fast days. What? That's the Bible. I mean, that's the Old Testament. These are our fast days. What do you mean that your, your disciples don't have to fast? 
He did another crazy thing. He had included into his inner circle, into his disciples, a tax collector. I don't know about you, but I'm not too excited about the IRS when they, when they uh, call up and say we'd like to, take, uh, like to visit you. I've never had that happen. I hope it never happens. Not because I've cheated, not because that I've done wrong. It's just you, you just don't like to be around tax collectors, especially if they're coming over for a visit and not the friendly kind. Why would you include a tax collector? And this is worse. Not just somebody who's, who who's, could cause you harm financially, but we're talking about somebody who's betrayed the, the, his nation for the Romans and for profit. It's a serious thing. Who would do that? A crazy person. A crazy person. There's a, in chapter 3 of Mark, we have, we have the paralytic man who's let down through the roof, and Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. Huh? Who says that except for a crazy person? Because you can't forgive sins. Again, we know he's the Messiah. We know he can. But folks, they didn't know that. They didn't understand that. And then, and then, this might be the craziest of all. He told that man to pick up his bed on the Sabbath and take it home. Now, you and I don't think that that's crazy, but the way that they handled the Sabbath, I mean, you, I mean remember, in, in the law, there's a story of a man who was picking up sticks on the Sabbath, and he was, he was killed for that. And here Jesus is telling this man to pick, he, so he's, he's forgiven sins, he has healed on the Sabbath, and he's given a command to break the Sabbath to the man he just healed. That's insanity. If you're looking at it through man's eyes. And so now the reputation's going out, and now people are coming, people want to see. You know, it's amazing how many people are interested in the freak show. I'd like to tell you that the people were hungry after truth and they were excited about this healer, but, I, but the way that it's portrayed, it seems that it was more of a freak show than it was a, a true desire for godly things. It was a curiosity. So much so they can't even eat bread Jesus' friends come, and they think he's crazy, and they want to take charge of him. They want, to, they want to take responsibility for him, take him home, maybe get him some treatment, pray over him, try to, get, try to get this craziness out of his head. And, that, you know, there's a reputation. Here, he's a crazy man. The priests and, the, you know, the, the religious leaders, they say, no, 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 no. He's not crazy. He's demon-possessed by the prince of the devils. Beelzebub is the lord of the flies. Not exciting. And here, Jesus' reputation is being drugged through the mud, being attacked. I'd ask you this, this morning, does Satan still drag Jesus' reputation through the mud? 
He certainly does, doesn't he? And we face it. Even as Christians, there's a constant uh, responsibility of taking upon himself the enemy of our souls to slander the reputation of Christ. And it's why we have to sing songs like we sang this morning, He Has Never Failed Me Yet, to remind ourselves of that because constantly there is a, a voice that is telling us Jesus is too weak to handle your situation. Jesus is too weak to handle your situation. I think about when Jesus came off the mountain of transfiguration and there was, there was a, a group gathered. And as Jesus showed up, he's told the story of, of uh, this child that is demon-possessed and, and uh, how the disciples are unable to cast out this demon. And the man says to Jesus, If thou canst do anything, if... If, now, now just a few moments earlier, I don't know how long, I don't know the exact time frame, but, but just previous to this, Jesus was talking with Moses and Elijah. Jesus had been transfigured. He had, he had been shown as, the, as, as bright as the sun. He had... He had, he had it displayed his true nature, his power, but this man didn't see it. And this man didn't understand it. He had heard rumors that, that Jesus' disciples could cast out demons, and they had cast out demons in the past. And it shouldn't surprise us that this man would say to Jesus, if thou canst do anything, because the disciples who had a reputation of being able to cast out demons failed. This is a different kind of demon. I don't uh, understand the, the hierarchy of hell. I don't understand uh, what's going on at a spiritual level. But Jesus even recognizes that this demon is different disciples would ask why couldn't we cast him out we've cast out other ones why can't we cast this one out and jesus said this one's different you've this i'm only this kind only goes out by prayer and fasting so it's no surprise really that this man would say if thou can do anything but there's that gnawing doubt in the back of his mind perhaps jesus is powerless for my situation. For my situation. And it's a struggle that we, that we will always be tempted with, I think, as long as we live here, is to think that somehow this trial is different than the previous ones. We look back at our lions and our bears. We look back at, at our previous battles and, and, and situations, and there's... And, and, and somehow, this trial seems worse than those ones. I believe that it's because whatever's present is always the biggest. Because we're faced with it right now. Even though those trials in the past may have been bigger, they may have been more difficult, they have been, uh, 
have more terrible of circumstances, they're in the past, and we're not feeling the anxiety of those anymore. We're faced with this one in front of us right now. Gideon went through that, didn't he? The Lord calls Gideon to deliver his people. Gideon doesn't know if God is powerful enough to give him victory. You know the story of the fleeces, but it doesn't end there. He also has to, Gideon then has to have a small battle and, def- and destroy the uh, false god's grove. And when he sees everything works out all right, then he's ready to go and he gets the men together and they're going to have victory. And then God says, oh, you've got too many. Do you know why God had to tell Gideon he had too many? Because Gideon wasn't convinced God was big enough yet. And we often, we often are in that same place. Is God able for my problem? It's a different kind of problem. It's, a, uh, it, it, it's different than the last one that Satan will tell us. This one's cancer, or this one is financial, or, or this one is, is mental health, or, or this, is, this, this is a family member and not you. This is, and on and on and on it goes. And we live in perpetual fear. The world's getting darker and darker and darker. And we all would say amen to that. But, but folks, that doesn't mean that God's getting weaker and weaker and weaker. It's not what it means. Those trials that we're going through aren't aren't anything too big for our God. Is there anything too hard for the Lord? He's the God who makes iron swim and the sun stands still in the sky. He's the God who speaks and stars are scattered across the sky. He's a God who... All he has to do is have his man reach his rod over the Nile and it turns to blood. He's the God who delivered the Israelites out of 400 years of slavery. And we ask ourselves, is God big enough for my problem this morning? (laughs) Folks, I'm not making light of our issues. I'm not making light of your problems. Our problems are, 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 are always, always big because there are problems. It's not a, it's not a surprise that, that we would, would have that same temptation to say with the, uh, that man of that precious boy who's possessed, if thou can do anything, if thou can do anything. We know he can. We know he can. And, and maybe we get over that. Maybe we, maybe we get to that place where we say, you know, I, I believe God's able. And then Satan's next attack on Christ's reputation is, yes, but does he care? But does he care about what you're going through? Does he care about you? 
we don't hear it said in these words, but even in the garden, you can, you can hear you can hear the serpent as he's talking with Eve, and he says, God can't be trusted because he's keeping something good away from you. This is, he knows that the day that you eat of this, day that he knows, he knows that day, you will be like him. He's keeping something good away from you. You can't trust him. You can't trust him. If you can't trust him, you have to eat. You have to. If, if you can't trust that God knows what's best for you, if you can't trust that, that He cares about your situation and your circumstance, you've got to take things into your own hands. You've got to eat of that forbidden fruit. You don't have a choice. Because if you do, you'll take care of your problems yourself. And that is what we've been doing ever since Eve took that first bite We've been taking care of our problems ourselves. And what do we do? We keep making it worse and worse and worse. Abraham went through it. God, you've promised me an heir. You promised me a son. Should I make Eliezer my heir? Should I take one of my servants and make him my heir? You're... I don't know exactly what was going through Abraham's mind when he, when he asked God that, but I'm sure it was a question of, well, it's past, it's past the time for having children. I don't know if God can do it, but even if it, that time's over, but does God even care about my hopes and dreams of being a father? And the question comes in, doesn't it? And we struggle and we wonder and we don't know. Does God care about the problems that I'm bringing to him in prayer? I've prayed to God for this for years, maybe decades, maybe since I've been saved. Does God care about this situation? Does God care about this person that I love and I want to see make it? Does God care? And we have to remind ourselves, don't we? Oh, yes, he cares. But in the crucible, it's hard to believe it, isn't it? In the crucible, it's hard for us to believe it. There's a, there's a temptation for us to, to say, you know, I know he cares, but... but uh, I don't know. Maybe he's, he's too busy or, or maybe he's got better things to do. Or, or, and we just kind of have all these things that we've just kind of put in the way. We put it in the way. Even the disciples, they woke Jesus up and they said, Master, don't you care that we perish? 
Don't you even care? You're fine. We know you're the Messiah. We know you're not going to drown. But what about the rest of us? We're not the Messiah. We're we're not anything. We're fishermen and tax collectors and zealots and and all these other occupations. We're, we're, we're not the Messiah. Lord, don't you care that we perish? And if you're honest this morning, you've probably prayed a very similar prayer. Lord, don't you care? Don't you care that wife and I have been fighting and arguing over the same thing for a long time and we can't get anywhere. Lord, don't you care that, that we're trying to raise our kids right and, and all these temptations and all these things and, that going on and, and what about our grandkids? Don't you care about them? Don't you care that they perish? hard to remember that he does, isn't it? When it seems like he's not working on our timetable. It's not working on our timetable. Jesus, we know, doesn't have to sleep now that he's in heaven, but it seems like in our prayer time we have to shake him awake in order to get him to do something. Folks, our prayers aren't to get God to do something. Our prayers are to help us to get in unity with His will. And yes, I believe our prayers have the ability to shift the will of God. We see that throughout Scripture. That we can affect God's will by our prayers. I don't understand it. I find it amazing. It seems unbelievable to me to think that the God of all universe and the God of all wisdom would even take my advice, (laughs) take my uh, limited perspective into consideration to his great plan. King Hezekiah. You're going to die. Set your house in order. Turns his face to the wall and begins to pray. And God says, you know what? You've changed my mind. Really, Lord? Really? Changed my mind? I don't understand it. God's will was one thing. And a man's will was another. And God said, I'll do what you ask. He's able this morning. He's able and he cares. But most often, most often, I find the place of prayer is the time when God is helping me to align my will with his will. The wisdom of man is foolishness to God. 
And the wisdom of God is foolishness to man. Do you know the world's going to think we're crazy because they thought Jesus was crazy? Actually, what my great fear is, is that the world is never going to think that we're crazy. Because we don't have the faith to do anything crazy. We live in what we know and what we feel comfortable with. We, we, we hang out in, in the areas in which we feel safe and comfortable. And because we don't step out, in, out into the water... We don't have to worry about failure because we're, we're safe on the shore. I'm a person who likes to analyze. I've, I've, I remember the first time that I ever was told that I was analytical. I was in high school. I didn't even knew what, know what that word meant. <laughs> And most of the time it's a good thing, but sometimes it's a bad thing. Because I can analyze something, and usually very quickly, I can analyze the situation and, and have my answer. Drives my wife crazy. It takes her a little while to come up with an answer. But I'm, I'm kind. I can analyze the situation. I have my answer, and let's go. I don't like to take forever to make a decision. Once we have the information, and there's no more new information to be had, let's make the decision and move on just the way I am. Some people, they like to talk about it and talk about it and talk about it. And I love them for it because we need to slow down sometimes. And sometimes there's new information that we didn't know that we didn't know. God makes us different because he knows that we need different. If we all only had the ones that talked, we'd never ever make a decision. And if you had people that only made quick decisions and got on things, then bad decisions would be made. But as being analytical, sometimes I can look at a situation and say, you know what, that's not wise. That's not the, that's not the safe route. That's not the, that's, not the, that's not the wise way to go. And God says, but this is where I'm leading. Jesus calls Peter out to walk on the water. Every time I read that, I know that I'm one of the disciples staying in the boat. I wouldn't have even thought to ask Jesus to, to go out to him. Because it doesn't make sense. There are, I don't think I would have asked him on a, on a beautiful sunny day with no breeze let alone in the midst of the darkness of, and in the midst of a storm. And we can criticize Peter for sinking, getting his eyes off from Jesus, and, and certainly there is something to be said about keeping our eyes on, on the Master in the midst of our storms. But, but folks, most of us are still stuck in the boat because we don't know whether he's trustworthy or not. We don't know whether he's able to hold us up in, in impossible situations. I ask you this morning, is there anything that you are doing that you would fail unless the Lord helped you? If not, 
You're in the boat. Is there anything, any act of faith in our lives? We talk, we talk about faith and we sing about faith and we, talking, we talk about, uh, about that he hasn't failed us yet, but what, where have we put him to the test? And I'm not talking about foolishness and I'm not talking about, uh, about us going out on a limb, but, but about listening for God's voice for him to call us out onto the limb. There's a big difference about going in foolishly into something and following God to somewhere where everyone else thinks is foolish. And oh, that God would give us a revival of people who are willing to be fools for God's sake. That sounds, that sounds crazy talk. We need fools for God's sake. I'm afraid, I'm afraid this morning that if ever persecution comes to, to America, that they'll ignore us because we're no threat. We're no threat. You don't mess, you don't bother with something that's not a threat. You, bo- you bother, you persecute, you attack, you, you eradicate those things that are a threat. There's a reason why your dog can live in your house, but not the mice. One's a threat, and one's your pet. I'm afraid we've gotten to the place in the culture we've become little more than docile pets to the culture. We're not a threat. And do you know what makes the culture mad? Is when we do become a threat. When we say this is the line and we won't cross it. And whether it costs us our money, whether it costs us to be bankrupt, whether it costs us our jobs, whatever it might cost us, our homes, whatever it might cost us, this is what their line is, and it will not be crossed, no matter the cost. And we do it so rarely. We do it so rarely. Even when we do it, other church people start coming out, they say, I don't know why they're doing that. I remember, what was it, three, four, five years ago when Target came out and said that they were, they were going to be doing the away with, with uh, bathrooms being uh, for one gender or the other. And some, some people said, well, we're not shopping there anymore. We're, we're going to send a message. And other Christians said, you shouldn't be doing that. You shouldn't be doing that. Why shouldn't we be doing that? Well, it's not going to make a difference anyways. Well, you know, it seems awful funny to me that, the, that in, the, in this past month that Chick-fil-A has been denied two places because of their stand on gay marriage. They've been denied in, in San Antonio and I think Buffalo, New York, if I remember correctly, been denied because of their Christian stand and yet we can't take a stand on anything because we're afraid of what it'll cost us. We might not get the, the deals at Target. I'm not saying you have got to boycott Target. That's not what I'm trying to preach this morning. I'm talking about, do, are we willing to sacrifice ourselves? Are we willing to be foolish for God? 
Uh, is there ever going to come a point when we're going to say, this is no more are we going to compromise on what the culture says. You can call us insane. You can say we're possessed. You can call us whatever you want to call us. But folks, it's what they did to Jesus. But you know, we'll cave because we don't know if God cares about us and we don't know if he has our, his, uh, our best interest in mind. We don't know if, if he's able to keep us because we don't put him to the test. God's calling us this morning out into some dangerous waters. He's calling us into some dangerous waters. He's asking us, are you willing to be fools for me? Are you willing to have the world say that you're crazy? Are you willing to, for the world to say that you're a, a holy roller or you're a fool? You see, we care about our reputations. And we don't know whether we can trust Christ. And so we serve God as long as it's safe. Sometimes we don't understand what he's doing and we don't understand what he's saying. Jesus would ask the disciples, he'd get after them a little bit and he'd, and he'd go, what? Maybe he's upset because we don't have any bread. Jesus says, listen, I says, haven't you seen me perform two miracles already with bread? You're not getting it. We talk about we have to eat, we have to have a home, and we have to have an education, we have to, we have to, we have to. When are we going to stand up and say, our God is able to take care of us even when we can't take care of ourselves? We're going to take our stand right in the right way and with the right spirit. We're going to be loving and we're going to be kind. But if it costs us something, so be it. Philippians tells us, and I almost read it to us, Philippians chapter 2 tells us that Jesus made himself of no reputation. Doesn't mean he didn't have one. It says he, it's, he denied the reputation of being the Son of God. He, he took away from himself the authority and the power that he could have had. He could have come to earth and, and with the scepter and with the rod, and he could have beat this world down into subjection on the reputation of that he is the Son of God. He could have but he made himself of no reputation. He came as a nobody, and the world gave him a reputation. He's a lunatic. He's possessed. But you and I came into this world, and maybe we didn't have a reputation, or maybe our family had a reputation that we got saddled with, whether we deserved it or not. But the question is, are we willing to walk with a master who's going to identify us with by our walk the world will identify us just like him as crazy 
or will we stand afar off so that we're not associated with that? There's a cost to be radical. There's a cost to being radical. Lord, help us to not play it safe. Jesus didn't play it safe. He went right at the heart of their false teachings and their false understandings. May God help us, even when it costs us something, to say that's wrong. And do you know where the cost is going to be the greatest? It's going to be with our fellow believers. It was for Christ. It was the church world that had the greatest problem with who he was. And if we're going to stand for what's right and true, we're going to be pelted on, those, uh, on, the side, uh, on both sides. Those who want to take a more uh, liberal way and those that want to take a more conservative way than what is truth. You'll be pelted on both sides. But are you willing to walk out on the limb when the Lord calls you there? Or, all, or do we want to just play it safe? Jesus could have played it safe. He could have kept his reputation as the Son of God. He could have came in his glory. He could have played it safe and never had to go to the cross. But where would we be? And I wonder this this morning, if maybe, perhaps, just, just maybe part of the worries in the world is getting darker and darker, isn't because God has lost power, but because we have quit being brave. We've played it safe. And while the host of hell attack, we try to hide in our bunker, and we won't put on the, the armor of God Instead, we just hide under the shadow of his wing, and there's a time for that. There's a time to, he is our strong tower and refuge, and, and I understand that there's times that we need to run there, but there's also a time to fight. And knowing the difference is a matter of knowing the heart of God and knowing his will. We can hide until Jesus comes. Or we can make the world tremble with our shout. That's what I want to do this morning. I want the world to tremble with our shout. Let's stand together. Amen. Jamie, would you dismiss us in prayer?